power. To donate or volunteer, please call 469-6600, email info at weru.org, or pledge online at weru.org. Thank you. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. I have a show on every fourth Thursday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, This show is taped this time. We're still working on trying to get live shows, but it's taped today. So, unfortunately, we can't take any questions. I always remind my listeners of my show on Sunday mornings at 7.30. It's Pet Sounds, covering all sorts of topics of your interest if you're awake at that time. So let's get on with the show. I am uh, excited this uh, this time. This is, gr- is going to be a great show. Uh, we're going to talk to the author of a book named Smart Ass, How a Donkey Challenged Me to Accept His, his True Nature and Discover My Own. And the author is Margaret Winslow. Her, she's going to go by Margie. Good morning, Margie. How, good afternoon, Margie. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm very happy to be on your program. Well, this is this is delightful. Um, so this this book was, uh, I think, it is about a donkey, but I think people can really relate to this with any kind of animal that comes into their life, in terms of how how you should respect who they are, and what they do. So the first thing I want you to do is just tell our listeners how you got here from there. Okay. There, there are a lot of theirs and uh, quite a few here. So uh, <laughs> how I got a dog here, just how I came to... Oh, who, who are you? Where do you live? Who are you? Where do you get okay. you know, your, your, your background, a little bit of your background? Then we'll go on to Caleb. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, besides being a... Uh, sometime uh, donkey wrangler <laughs> or, or, or straight man for a donkey. Um, I, uh, I grew up on Long Island, um, Suffolk County, New York uh, suburbs. It actually was a small town being swallowed by suburbs. Um, and there were a lot of horse farms around. Um, and I was horse crazy and uh, was uh, one of those kids called a barn rat. In other words, willing to do chores in order to get a, a free ride or a lesson once in a while. And um, I had ridden, um, even into college, just for pleasure, um, until I was thrown from a horse um, uh, that ran away from me. And it was really unusual circumstances because we were riding through an area we always went through in the woods. And and it turned out there was a National Guard um, encampment there. And we came across, a, suddenly came across a, a large vehicle, not quite a tank, but anyway, and the horse reared and threw me. Anyway, because of that, I became actually afraid of riding. I, I loved horses from afar, but I didn't ride for about 30 years. Um, and uh, we'll get back to that, I guess, in a minute. But anyway, I <laughs> I uh, went into geology. I worked mainly in southern South America, Chile, Patagonia, uh, Antarctica, Alaska, uh, Dominican Republic. Uh, and I taught at the City University of New York for 30 years. Um, and uh, during that time, I encountered donkeys periodically, uh, mainly in the Dominican Republic. And I became fascinated with them. Uh, having been horse crazy, I wanted to know more about them and joined donkey and mule societies when I got home and um, and also started to go to donkey and mule shows uh, around the eastern part of the U.S. Uh, and talked to donkey owners until I decided I would really like to have one and I would like to ride again. And so that's partly how I came to here. Uh, I saw a donkey advertised in the American Donkey and Mule Society magazine, uh, which is called The Brayer, <laughs> and uh, for a, uh, a a white saddle donkey, and I went up to meet him, and it wasn't long before uh, he had me wrapped around his hoof. Well, before we get into to Caleb, that's the donkey we're talking about, uh, what, in the Dominican Republic, what kind of 
uh, behaviors or what did you see down there that made you um, look at donkeys a second, you know, take a second look at them? Yeah, uh, out in the rural areas, uh, even beyond where we could get with the Jeep, uh, uh, we were, uh, um, as a geologist, I, well, I sometimes like to tell people that I predict earthquakes that have already occurred. I was looking for evidence of ancient earthquakes to try to figure out uh, how often they occur. And because the historical record, actually the historical record in the Americas is only about 500 years old. So um have to uh, at best. And so having to look at the, the soil changes and, and fractures in order to get to, determine where uh, earthquakes have occurred before and fault lines. And the government of the Dominican Republic wanted to know this so they could avoid uh, building schools and hospitals right on a fault line, uh, which in some cases they did anyway. But, oh, geez. <laughs> but you know, you, you do what you can do. Right. Uh, and you write your report. But anyway, while I was there, um, down in the... Uh, you know, the deepest valleys, inaccessible valleys, there were um, donkeys. And um, there were, during the dry season, there were donkeys with uh, carrying water. And I saw little kids sitting on top of donkeys with jerry cans. And they would spend all day going down, zigzagging down the canyon walls to the little bit of water at the bottom. Uh, they let the donkeys loose. And the donkeys would go off playing with each other and splashing in the water, which I'm sure was great for the uh, for the potability factor. But anyway, um, and they had the donkeys were having fun. The little kids were having fun. And then they would go back up again. And I noticed that not only did they not have saddles on, they didn't have bridles or or even halters or ropes. The donkeys just knew the way and the kids would you know, load them up with the water and they go back up the mountains and hours later they come back down again. So I started to just be fascinated by these animals. Um, they looked a little bit like a cartoon version of a horse crossed with a rabbit. Uh, and I had not actually seen a living donkey before. Nowadays, people who go to state fairs and they petting zoos, uh, more kids suburban kids have seen donkeys but i never actually seen a live one and so i became i wanted to know more about them and i saw kids riding them to school uh they would the donkey would come along to pick the kid up after school and three or four kids would pile on and ride home and again they, they were just doing everything very gentle animals um and because of the poverty uh pets are i mean Animals are not pets, uh, and uh, they don't uh, um, indulge them the way that uh, we can afford to do. But but they seem to be well taken care of and um, healthy. So anyway, I started to get interested in donkeys and mules, went to some shows, realized they could do dressage and jumping and um, Western uh, events, uh, barrel racing, etc. Uh, and what thrilled me about them was that even the ones that were very well trained, and I went to a couple of national shows, they were still donkeys, which meant that if they didn't feel like doing something that day, they just didn't do it. So you'd be all lined up for a jump, and they probably practiced it 200 times, and the donkey would go up to the jump and just stop. <laughs> and <laughs> and the nice thing about donkey and mule shows is that because the the stakes are so low. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the purse, I, I won the um, state championship two years ago with, with Caleb, and um, I th think the purse was $68. So, you know, <laughs> big bucks. <laughs> really big bucks. I got trophy ribbons and et cetera. But, um, but I like the attitude of the people. It was not, people did groom their animals and they dressed properly and they were serious about trying to do everything right but if the donkey just lay down in the harness um the judges would come out and help lift the donkey up and uh and so i just love the attitude of of donkey and mule owners and and how they um coexisted with their donkeys they were not just performance animals you know no or lack thereof <laughs> they, they, they were 
they were individuals. Every single one of them was an individual. Well, you had uh, some, you mentioned in your book about some early childhood uh, uh, not experiences, but you had uh, a donkey, I think you had a donkey toy or something like that. So tell us about how that may, because when people have pets later in life, a lot of times you hear, you know, I ask, why did you get this kind of dog? And they say, well, I grew up with this kind of dog or I had a stuffed animal. So early experience. So tell us how that early experience may have yeah. influenced your interest in donkeys. Yes. Um, uh, when we were kids, as with many kids around the U.S. Uh, in the in the 50s, um, our wish book, annual wish book, was the Sears catalog. Yes. And, and it came out around Thanksgiving every year before Thanksgiving. Love you, had to, you had to order everything well in advance. And, um, and we would, you know, my parents would say, you know, in terms of pajamas and, and toys and things, you know, they'd flag some pages for us to look at. And one time, um, and I don't know why, but we bought, we got the farm and ranch catalog as well as the general catalog. And so, uh, you know, we were looking through all of them and I came across this picture of a little girl about my size, so probably about age five, uh, in a Dale Evans, you know, fringe skirt and vest <laughs> holding this little donkey with had a Mexican blanket and <laughs> um, and the donkey was looking at her you know very tenderly and etc and I wanted that donkey and it was only fifty dollars and putting the saddle um, but then my father explained something to me uh, it was FOB um, Dallas and we were in New York and I didn't know what freight on board meant but what he (laughs) explained to me was that the $50 got the donkey basically from some ranch to some depot in Texas and then he would have to pay the freight to get this donkey all the way across the (laughs) United States (laughs) and so we went back and forth on this and I was figuring out what kind of jobs I could do to (laughs) earn money at uh, 50 cents an hour and, and anyway this went back and forth and so one year uh, in front of the <laughs> christmas tree was a stuffed donkey and um and so i had one and he was my you know dear friend along with my uh, my teddy bear and giraffe and i kept my stuffed animals probably longer than than most kids do um but anyway so that was my only experience with a donkey was this this uh, soulful-looking creature uh, in the cute blanket, and and um, like older. Yes, <laughs> um, and I didn't know about Eeyore, or uh, as it turns out, I didn't know about uh, Eeyore and another uh, or William Stogg's book about. Shrek, his donkey oh, yeah. had a name, but long before the movie, there was a book. I, I also did not know about that growing up. So anyway, that was as far as it went with donkeys until the 1980s. And I was working in the Dominican Republic as a geologist um, studying earthquake hazards. And I saw during the dry season, way back beyond where the roads ended, uh there were people using donkeys. They were using them in the coffee plantations and the banana plantations um, to carry things. And they're very steep, muddy slopes. Uh, you could not get any kind of vehicle in and out. No mechanization, of course. And uh, the little kids uh, would ride and collect water from the bottom of the canyons during the dry season. And these donkeys would just you know, the little kids would ride on them, no saddle, no bridle, just some jerry cans tied on with twine. And um, the donkey would know the way down, zigzag down the canyon wall to the bottom, fill up the cans, ride all the way back up. It would take hours round trip. And the donkeys knew the way, and they they just did their job. And, and during the time that the kids were down in the river, <clears throat> being little kids, they would play in the water and they let the donkeys loose while the donkeys were never tied up to begin with. And the donkeys would also play something that looked like sort of tag or fulfilled your, fulfilled your childhood dream of, of your stuffed donkey sitting on your bed. 
yeah. before we go on, we, we're talking donkeys, and I think uh, we before we go on to talk about Caleb, who's our main interest here, uh, people may need to, or sh- I think they should understand the difference between a donkey, a mule, and an ass, and just briefly the different categories of donkeys, just briefly, just to give people a perspective of what a donkey is and what kind of donkey uh, that Caleb was. So the difference between donkey, mule, and ass and the donkey categories. Okay. Yes, um, uh, horses and donkeys are separate species. Uh, they have a different number of chromosomes. And um, horses, I believe, have 62 and donkeys have 64. Um, and they can mate and produce viable offspring, which are called mules. And uh, mules have 50, uh, 63, and they are, uh, however, they are sterile, and so they cannot reproduce. So every time you want a mule, you have to have a horse and a donkey um, mate. Um, and so so they are different. The other thing that's different, well, a couple things that are different besides the, the ears, et cetera, um, is that the horses that we ride today were mostly selected by humans uh, about 4,000 years ago in Central Asia. So they were um, naturally breeding among themselves to be very fast. There there are no natural barriers in the grasslands. And so they were, their main survival thing was large herds and swiftness and and hyper alertness to their ability to flee. Excuse me, I'm going (coughs) to... Clear my throat. Um, and so the the ones that um, that we ride to the horses that we ride today um, come from these horses uh, that uh, are swift. They they uh, their unit their social unit is the herd, and they form very very large herds. Uh, and a very large herd is somewhat intimidating to a predator. Um, safety in numbers. Um, they also are hyper-developed in terms of fleeing. And so what happens is if if a predator starts attacking a herd of uh, wild horses, um, if they are not, if they're not successful in driving them off, um, they will run away. And unfortunately, they may leave some offspring or, or older horses behind. But survival of the herd is, is, is uh, very important. Donkeys, on the other hand, excuse me. Okay. It's a new, I'm very sorry. That's a seasonal allergy, I think. Um, The uh, donkeys, on the other hand, uh, the ones that uh, we use came from the deserts of North Africa. And uh, because of the dry, rocky terrain, um, they did not form big herds. Uh, they were solitary, somewhat like deer, uh, stayed far apart from each other, like a couple miles apart. They developed a really loud bray and really nice big ears that can hear large distances. And they tended to not group together. Uh, and on the other hand, because they had to stand their own against a, a predator, instead of fleeing their first uh, instinct is to freeze and then fight. And donkeys will fight against predators. Um, and I've been to a number of veterinary conferences where they film them in the wild and they will stand their ground because they, they're not fast. Uh, they're good climbers on rocks. Um, but they're not swift. And so they tend to stand their ground more, which leads to why they have a reputation of being stubborn. This, no. this does come to play. They uh, just like uh, cat and dog breeds, certain characteristics, and this will come into play with with Caleb. Um, just real briefly, he, he, there's there's different categories of donkeys. Uh, just briefly go into that, and we'll get on to Caleb because we want to get going on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the there are a number of breeds of donkeys uh, based on both size and appearance. There are a few long hair donkeys, so the Poitou, um, et cetera. But they're mostly classified by size. And so uh, 
the uh, mini donkeys, the ones that we usually see at petting zoos, uh, are under 36 inches at the shoulder. And then the um, standard goes from that up to 54 at the shoulder. And then the so-called mammoth starts at 54 inches at the shoulder. Um, and so sometimes there's a little bit of, if, if a donkey has mammoth characteristics, which is a particular kind of head um, and face and musculature, they may call it a mammoth, even though it's an inch or two too short. Um, uh, and there are some very large standard donkeys that are very much like like standard donkeys, but they're large enough to be in the mammoth category. So there's a little bit of, okay. of gray Caleb, area there. Caleb was a standard? Is that that? Yeah, we're... <laughs> We're pretty sure that he was probably half standard and half mammoth. He was two inches too short to be a mammoth donkey, but he had certain mammoth characteristics in terms of very big, blocky head. Um, and uh, so, but we we didn't know a lot about his background. Um, he was not from a breeder, uh, so we we weren't able to. We know that his mother was a large standard donkey. So you but, got him from an ad. You said you, you answered an ad. An they were trying ad. to get rid of, I mean, sell it. <laughs> sell Caleb. Well, this, this, um, this woman, um, a lovely woman up near Buffalo, New York, um, uh, raised donkeys, uh, excuse me, raised goats and sheep for um, to make cheese. And also she's a weaver. And she got a donkey as a guard animal. And the donkey did a very good job of driving off feral dogs and coyotes. Um, and she decided to sell him because she wanted, now her story was that she wanted him to have more of a life. Uh, he had been saddle trained briefly, but they the kids sort of moved on to other things. And so he was basically a pasture ornament. She wanted him to have more of a life. Okay, that was the official story. Um, I think after I got Caleb, I realized that she probably couldn't control him. Uh, she was a very petite woman and um, perhaps was a little bit afraid of him because uh, he certainly was a, a handful when I got him. Yes, and uh, quite a handful. So you um, you met Caleb and you had kind of a, what was your first reaction and what was his first reaction? Well, what was interesting is he, he came running along the fence line um, and it was uh, back and forth and seemed to be very excited to meet the new arrival. Um, and uh, the, my first impression is, oh, my God, he's huge. <laughs> he's so much bigger than I thought. And and she had stated the I think she was maybe an inch and a half short, but um, she had stated honestly his size and then sent pictures and uh, including pictures of her and she's reaching up to try to get the halter on him and I thought, well, you know, the woman must be a midget. <laughs> <laughs> and she was not that short, but Caleb was that tall. So he was uh, bigger than, than I realized um, and uh, full of energy and um, so I was in complete denial about how, how intimidated I was. And while we were in the kitchen having coffee and chatting, Caleb was going along the fence line braying. And she said, oh, he really likes you. <laughs> Good salesman. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so I was smitten um, and I bought him. Now, the one thing I did that was smart is, the, there were donkey and mule trainers, the only ones in New York State, actually, uh, only 30 miles away. Um, and so I actually had Caleb directly shipped to them, the Bridgman family, um, who still have their farm. Uh, I was with them the last couple of summers uh, with a new donkey. Um, and uh, they, uh, although they're the, the elder Bridgman's are, re are retired, but uh, the daughter's still training. And um, anyway, so I had him shipped there for, for what turned out to be 10 weeks. And I was able to get back to teaching in, this, in the city, finish my semester, and then I went up to work with him. Um, and so that was a good thing for me to do, because if I brought him straight home, I, I 
I didn't realize how how I could not control him easily, and that he was a handful even for for uh, experienced trainers, um, and not not um, ill willed about it, but he just loved to play tricks on everybody and let himself out of his stall, which he did throughout his life, by the way. We let, um, a, he let another horse out one, at one time. Yes, he got, he, he got out of it, and then he went over to the other stall. Tell us just briefly. Tell us about that. Yeah, let his uh, his girlfriend out, um, <laughs> Ginger, uh, <laughs> redheaded horse, <laughs> and they oh, went. Redhead, they always are trouble. Of course, <laughs> it ran through the barns with her. Uh, but he's also, uh, you know, there are only so many things you can put in a short book. But he he also opened up paddocks. He let numbers of horses out, of, and they would run around. And he'd be the ringleader of everybody. Oh, my gosh. And he would hide people's equipment, throw <laughs> it over the fence. Um, and so he, throughout his life, he was quite a trickster. Um, but when I first got him, uh, it was very intimidating because I was a rather nervous. I was just getting back into riding um, in the last six months. And I was a, a timid rider, and he, he sized me up right away. And uh, so every it was such an ordeal just to groom and tack him and get him out to the ring um, because he he had his own um, mind about everything. And I was, although I, I did sometimes need to punish him, I really didn't like to at all. Um, and I wasn't as firm as I might have been, or I wasn't consistent, I should say, as I, I probably should have been. And this is the, the conflict that I saw in your in your book. Um, you had certain expect expectations of what you wanted from Caleb. I mean, why you wanted Caleb and share with that, with us, your expectations. Cause that again, plays a role of people having a pet in their life or an animal in their life and what they expect and what they have to face. So what were you expecting? What was your, your ideal Caleb before he yeah. showed his true self? I was, um, expecting a, a pet a companion uh, I figured that we would be buddies and you know go hiking together um, and uh, trail riding and that we would just I had somewhat of a um, rose-colored glasses on to say the least um, and and there was definitely a affection there from the start um, but at the same time you're talking about a 700 to 800 pound farm animal and he was used to having his own way. Uh, he he heard in he brought in the the um, sheep and goats for the previous owner in the morning and night. You know, paraded them in and he guarded them. But he was not used to being handled very much, and he was not used to the fine tuning of of you know just turning left, right, stop, go. Um, the basic he had had very little training, um, and he also couldn't see the point in it. So he, you know, maybe <laughs> he would do, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, ADHD there or something. But he he would he would do one circuit, uh, you know, figure eight just perfectly, and then you try to get him to do a second one, and it was like, well, I already did that. <laughs> you know, let's do something else. Oh, you're, uh, so your your expectation was you wanted a pet that you could walk in the woods, probably kind of release your tensions from your schoolwork. CCNY had a lot of tension going on down there. Yeah. And so then you saw, well, then you depended on the, the Bridgman, Bridgmans mm -hmm. to train to train both of you. And you you would think, okay, after a couple months, you're just going to go off in the woods. And a couple things happened. One is the Bridgmans, what they were telling you you needed to do, and then you not wanting to do that because you had expectations of a pet, but it was it was a, quite a little bit of a conflict. Tell us about that. That that's very important. Yes, there was, and and they've um, these donkey mule trainers. Uh, they've you know worked with uh, the animals for many decades. In fact, I think uh, second generation horse trainers, and so they said you can't win a tug of war or any other battle with a seven or 800 pound animal. And I found it very hard to see that, uh, that he was a very large, willful farm animal. <laughs> 
And so, um, so I, I did learn how to become somewhat more firm with him, but I really, um, my, my weaknesses, and I, I know some of the comments uh, on my book of various book reviewers, um, most have been very positive, but, but occasionally, uh, people who are savvy about uh, horse training, you know, we're just, tearing their hair out because I was so incompetent. But that's what the book is about, that I was trying very, very hard to have it both ways, to have this affectionate, um, you know, fuzzy pet uh, to share my life with and talk to a great listener. Um, At the same time, have them actually do things uh, and, and also be safe to ride um in all the years that i had him uh other than the uh, stable owner where he lives um nobody else was allowed to ride him because he remained unpredictable not not in a way of running off bucking or rearing but in terms of just not doing what anybody wanted and uh and you could you know i developed really good upper body strength but (laughs) it's still he's still a lot of animal we're talking with Margaret or Margie Winslow, author of Smart Ass, How a Donkey Challenged Me to Accept His True Nature and Rediscover Her Own. This is Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. John Hunt, your host at WERU in East Orland, Maine. So we'll get back to your uh, relationship with Caleb. It seemed like in the in the book it was a it was a battle, most of the book, of your wanting to uh, have a certain kind of animal, people telling you how to train that animal so you could get what you wanted, but the training techniques weren't what you wanted. And then there was Caleb who was going to do what he was going to do. He was going to be a donkey. And it seemed like no one understood that. And I want to compliment you. In In your book, you mentioned many times that you were going to expert books even with the farrier and the veterinarian and all that kind of, and hopefully we have time to talk about that, uh, which was admirable. So you tried to understand him, but yet you're trying to fit him around, around a square peg in a round hole. Um, so to, so you went from the Bridgems, things didn't work out as you wanted to. So what did you do? Or, or am I misspeaking there? Well, um, the first time with the Bridgems. Uh, yeah, no, nobody quite said that, that I failed completely. Um, but, uh, (laughs) at the end of, (laughs) at the end of his, um, training, um, (laughs) uh, at the end of our package, um, I brought him home, uh, uh, which is a stable five miles from where I live, uh, where he settled in with, um, 45 horses and ponies. And, um, very well-trained horses and ponies because <laughs> uh, it's not a training stable. It's a riding stable. So the, the instructors there are really good at um, uh, training uh, riders, but they only buy horses that are well-behaved. Um, and so Caleb was a huge anomaly. I'm, I'm still grateful that, that the owners, I guess, were, were amused enough to allow me to bring Caleb there and to stay for 18 years because uh, I'm sure if they had had a horse or pony that behaved like him, they would have gotten rid of him. And they did get rid of, uh, you know, sold or gave away animals that, that behaved like he did. But, but uh, most of the time um, there was, he, he managed to behave in a way that was rather humorous a lot of the time. Uh, and it wasn't just my interpretation after the fact that it was humorous, but but also people would find his personality really intriguing. So they let him get away with some of the things he did, like letting horses out of their stall, letting himself out of his stall, letting other horses out, letting opening up the paddocks. Um, we ended up with three different locks on his stall before we could hold him. And the conflict I saw in your book, is uh you didn't make it a conflict but you every time you saw him and greeted him after you after an absence he was so friendly and loving to you nuzzling you so then you got that impression that he's just this puppy dog 
and you loved that because that's what you wanted, but you knew that that wasn't, or you didn't know, maybe you're in denial, that that wasn't going to happen all the time. Did you get that conflict? Did you feel that conflict, or did you not realize it? Yes, yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, I think the the themes and the the through the the through line in the in the book was this conflict um and it wasn't always totally conscious um so Caleb and I had wonderful wonderful times together and um and he was also you know did some really great things and and fun shows uh, nothing too serious um uh, but uh he did uh in 2019, the last time they had this particular Donkey Mule show before COVID, uh, he he won the state championship. So uh, so he <laughs> we, we did work things out. And so it so at the beginning, he did what he wanted 95 percent of the time, what I wanted five percent of the time. And then um, a couple decades later, he did what I wanted 95 percent of the time. But he he managed to still be Caleb. Five percent of the time, he was never a a push button ride, and uh, which I loved him for, um, even though he he was still he was still a challenge to uh, to handle. And one of the challenges as uh, one of the chapters in your book is the time he actually attacked you. This is during your process of learning your relationship with him. Uh, just go into that a little bit and why you think that happened and how that. Why you think it happened and how that changed your whole perception of Caleb? Okay, I I will. Um, I have to let the listener know that a lot of this book is funny. <laughs> yes, it yes it is. It's actually most of, most of it is it's just Caleb is you and Caleb are hilarious. Yes, and I didn't mean to to mask that part of the book. It's it's yeah. a great it's a great read. It's a great read. Okay. Um, but, but as a veterinarian, I'm kind of Sure. Interested in this pet relationship and, and your relationship, and that, and it yeah. is kind of. I think it's good to know the other side too. Yeah. But you're right; it is very fun. We'll get into some more humor. <laughs> and, and like the, like the ice, ice on the parking lot is kind of fun. Yeah, happy ending, right? Uh, yeah. But but <laughs> very important. Um, yes, uh, the um, uh, at City University uh, when I first started teaching there, I'd come from Columbia which was everyone's working 60 hours a week, you know, hustling for grant dollars and competing even with the person next to you. Uh, and, uh, and when I went to city college, I had a long reputation of, um, of teaching excellence and they were happy for you to do research and encouraged it, but they, they really, you had a fairly heavy teaching load, but what happened over the years, um, I was there for 30 years is that, um, the teaching loads remained very high relative to a research university, but they wanted, there was more and more pressure on research and bringing in, and not just research, because I did a lot of research uh, throughout my career, um, but they were small grants because I only needed travel grants to Chile or Dominican Republic or Alaska. So I didn't bring in a lot of overhead. And so, um, so anyway, there was much more pressure on me. And so I would drive out of the city and the heavy traffic and go straight to the barn trying to get some time with Caleb uh, before sunset. And I would be in a state. And this is the thing with any animal, um, but it was very clear with Caleb, is he knew when I was not there and he knew when I was in a state. And I'd be impatient and sort of not notice things and have to, take the bridle off and put it back on again. And he would become more and more difficult because I was not present. And I know that, you know, and of course, in retrospect, it's so obvious that I was not present for him. And you need to be present for any animal. If you're just thoughtless, um, you know, you see people uh, walking their dog while they're on their smartphone. Okay, that's all right. It works. But uh, the thing is, it's a relationship between you two, and that's your time together. And so I was um, often 
thoughtless. I was I was thinking I'm doing a good thing because I am spending a few hours a week with Caleb, so I'm maintaining a relationship, but I was just in the worst possible state. And so he picked up on that. And one day uh, I went in and I was just very uh, particularly frustrated and angry um, about the latest um, pronouncement from the administration about taking on a corporate model for the university. And, and um, I can laugh at it now because I retired, but because um, they're still at it. But um, the anyway, he knew I was especially absent. And so not only was he uncooperative, but when my back was turned, he actually lunged at me and knocked me down. And not only did he knock me over, which wasn't the first time he had done it, uh, but he actually stepped on me with all four hoofs quite deliberately. And uh, enough so that um, it just so happened because it was a cold day. I already had my helmet on uh, just because my head was cold. Otherwise, um, uh, but he ended up uh, kicking at the helmet and uh, and it went the strap broke and it went flying. So it was it was pretty it was pretty um, violent. And uh, so because of that and because I knew that my situation at work was not improving, um, I considered perhaps he, he could use a more, uh, you know, a better a better home that I just couldn't be the person for him. And as sort of a, a stopgap, I sent him back up to the Bridgman's for what they call their boot camp. Um and they did. And of course, he went up there and he behaved like an angel. <laughs> the kids were riding. Of course. And he was right. You know, the kids are riding him. But, but this is a place that's totally focused on donkeys and mules. And, and when the people are in the barn, they are there. And, um, so when I finally went up to visit him with the idea of selling him at the, at the, uh, at the next, the upcoming horse show, um, at least showing them around. Um, I realized that I didn't want to be parted from him and that I wanted to try better. Um, and that my career, my the hours I was keeping at the stresses needed to be changed, uh, that I basically had no life <laughs> other than work and, um, and trying to squeeze in a little bit with the donkey. And so I... It was a huge turning point for us, uh, for me. And and the thing is, I believe, and one has to be careful not to project onto an animal feelings that they may or may not have. But I think Caleb understood that I was really trying. Well, it, yeah. you mentioned in the book that you felt Caleb or someone felt, maybe the Bridge, Bridgemans, that Caleb was mad at you, mad at you for not paying attention. And he was just telling you that. And that woke you up, unfortunately, not the way you want to. Yes, um, that's right. That's right. And um, and nobody likes to hear that. I'm sure people who go into family therapy don't like to hear. No. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So I I and the the important thing with as with any uh, revelation or you call it therapy if you want, is that you don't hear it until you're ready to hear it. And it was sort of obvious in retrospect. And the way I'm describing it, it sounds really obvious. But um, but I needed to actually hear it and be ready to hear it. And so, um, and Caleb and I went on to have many, many happy years together shows with, with more antics, um, but uh, but with a whole lot less stress. What is, um, that was a turnaround. Um, you mentioned donkey time. What's donkey time? I think yes. that's very funny. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I had read about that, but uh, the thing is, um, Caleb's uh, walking pace, if left to his own devices, was about two and a half, three miles an hour. <laughs> and because of one of the things being the overachiever I was, um, you know, I thought being with Caleb, I should get some exercise. So I was trying, always trying to get him to walk faster than he wanted to. And, and he would stop and look at something, say a little wooden bridge or a stream or something. And he would look at it and look at it and look at it. 
and and and, and you're I on top. It. You're on him, waiting, right? I'm waiting, right? <laughs> you know, the sun is going down, whatever, <clears throat> starting to to rain. And the thing is, I needed to to realize that there was donkey time, and he needed to decide. This is this is the thing, donkey and mule owners. We never never say that they're stubborn. They are conscientious. They're careful, cautious. They need to trust you uh, before they do something. And they do take time to puzzle things out. You know, can I, is this safe to cross? And it's always slower than what we humans think. You know, that puddle's only two inches deep. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, come on, it's only two inches deep. But, um, but he needs to puzzle it out in his own time. <laughs> and so, it was very good. Um, you could even call it sort of a Zen thing to understand that that we needed to be present, and he needed to make up his mind that that traffic, the orange traffic cone, was was safe to pass or whatever. And he would take all the time he wanted. In fact, the more impatient you were, the more time he took. And but part of it's his curiosity too. Donkeys are naturally curious. They they see something, they'll go over there, and is that part of his behavior in the woods, so to speak? Yes, and uh, some people will compare donkeys in terms of their family uh, groupings as more like deer than like herd animals. And, and um, But uh, deer tend to be shy, permanently shy and distressful. And um, Whereas donkeys, paradoxically, are very curious. And even wild donkeys or the feral donkeys out west um, they're interested in novelty, and they are drawn toward it, and so they'll like to figure things out. And so it's it's different from deer, who whose first reaction would be fear and avoidance. It's it's actually a, sort of a health, healthy curiosity. They're really interested in figuring things out. And um, uh, so, yeah, is that is that what you were uh, yes. thinking about? Also, uh, it's leading to. <clears throat> Excuse me. He seemed very uh, friendly to strangers. Is that because he liked strangers, or is it because he was curious? And, and he seemed to be quite an extrovert. Uh, <clears throat> and donkeys do very, you know, because he was my first donkey. I thought that everything he did was just donkey, um, and uh, so did all of the horse people around me because we didn't know any better. Um, but they do vary quite a, a lot. And um, he was a real um, extrovert showman. Uh, when we did Christmas pageants um, every year at different churches, um, he was just a huge ham and, you know, just he just loved the attention uh, of people, not, not afraid of strangers. Uh, and uh, so he... Uh, yeah, so he, he was um, very friendly and um, unafraid. Mm-hmm. And tell us about uh, your husband, Joe, his first meeting with uh, Caleb and, <laughs> and your warnings and his ignoring that. What, what happened with uh, the first well, meeting? My, hus- <clears throat> my husband, um, Joe, uh, uh, was the... Chief science before retirement was the chief science officer on a research ship, Columbia research ship. So he was traveling around the world all the time, um, three months on, three months off. And I <clears throat> acquired the donkey while he was away. He was off the coast of Australia and said he fell off his chair when he read <laughs> <in> my email. <laughs> he said, You gotta what? <laughs> you didn't say you couldn't wait? A donkey? <laughs> a donkey. <laughs> Well, if I had waited, he would have gotten me a statue of a donkey. (laughs) Another uh, stuffed animal. Another stuffed animal. So, um, but anyway, uh, so he hadn't met Caleb because he was out to sea. And and he's a a big guy um, and tends to, you know, uh, I won't say heavy-footed, but he, he you know, he's a presence when he walks around. And so I told him, you know, don't. You know, just just to be on the extra safe side, you're probably fine. But just you know, don't do any sudden movements. Don't approach him directly, aggressively. You know, approach him like you would a wild animal. You know, with sort of look down indirectly. Uh, if you do come up, you know, just touch his shoulder very lightly. 
Well, Joe didn't listen to this at all. And he <laughs> uh, charged around the barn wanting to meet this donkey. And he comes up to the donkey, grabs him around the neck, and then he starts rubbing him up and down, giving him a uh, what some people call a noogie. A noogie, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Everyone and, knows what uh, a noogie is. Yeah. He, when, he, when Joe grew up in Pennsylvania Dutch country, it was called a Dutch rub for ah, some yes. reason. Anyway, so he gave him a Dutch rub, and I thought, the donkey's going to explode. <laughs> and I'm braced for it, and Caleb just loved it. He really? loved it. Oh, yes. Ears were showing. He was just, he loved it. And so. Um, that make you mad? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. They, they just liked liked each other from, from the start. And, and Joe's never been a, a big animal person, but he, he was always helpful. He, he never had the desire to ride one or, or <laughs> acquire one. But, but he was, uh, you know, he. They, the two of them liked each other. Yeah. So when he, any, any time Joe came into the stable, Caleb knew who he was, and mm-hmm. and there was no, never any problems. But That's of course, right. he didn't have to do anything either with them. No. Um, well, actually, he did. Um, they, there were a few <clears throat> times when um, uh, it's not in the book, but later on when I uh, was being treated for cancer, and then things, he actually uh, cleaned Caleb's hooves which was not an easy thing for anybody to do because Caleb liked to kick. Uh, and, um, and so uh, Joe did this faithfully for, for quite a few months. And, uh, um, and he, uh, he, he has the strength Joe does to, you know, to not take any nonsense and hold on to that. Instead of letting go of the hoof and starting over, he would actually hold on to it and, just, you know, till the donkey just stopped doing it and uh, it worked quite well. But anyway, yeah, so he actually did quite a bit with the donkey, but he never, he never, uh, you know, trained him or walked him or anything or rode him. You, uh, before we came on the air, I, you uh, shared a story that reflects Caleb's affection and protection of you. Uh, you want to share that? care to share that with our listeners gives a, a softer side of Caleb yeah um, he uh, this was also not in the book uh, I'll tell you um, book that uh, there there is a sequel but anyway uh, <laughs> not out yet but um, yeah I uh, I started to develop some heart symptoms that kept coming and going and nobody was diagnosing them and it was you know, I attributed it to heat or dehydration and and things like that. But anyway, I was out riding him in the ring one day. <clears throat> it was a hot day. And it had been happening, these feelings of, of feeling faint um, were happening more and more often. And that particular day, I just sort of slumped. And Caleb must have sensed it because he just stopped. And then I slid off him slowly and just onto the ground and blacked out. And then like when I came to um, the manager of the barn was trying to come over to see if I was injured. Um, she didn't know if I'd been thrown or something. And, um, and, and Caleb would not let her approach. He was snorting and his ears were pinned back and he didn't want her to, and, and he's very, he was very close to her too and respected her, but, um, but he was very protective of me. He didn't want, uh, until, so I sort of slowly kind of inched my way up Caleb's legs and <laughs> grabbed the stirrup until I could stand up and actually walk him out of the ring again. Um, and then, uh, so, but he, yeah, he was, he was protective and that, that was nice to know. You, uh, the different, uh, ways of training that you were you were told to do and all the antics that went along with it because uh caleb gave everyone a run for their money in a very humorous way i mean he 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 knew what was going on i mean he knew what to do to just break anyone who's on uh, these experts these horse trainers and um <laughs> for you because you you didn't like some of the stuff and caleb didn't like it um what what training technique did you end up is it like a hybrid for you to be able to to ride him like on the trail race that I want to end the show with 
Um, so what, what technique did you end up doing? Because you're told all sorts of different stuff. Right. Uh, well, getting rid of the experts was was probably the that, that we're going to figure it out on our own. Um, oh. be, being present was probably a good 80 percent of it, of just being there. And if I took my time and didn't ask him for something too too quickly, he he seemed to um, respond a lot better. And if I was frustrated and insistent, he was terrible. And so I respected that. And uh, and he became willing. He wanted to do things. Um, that he that's why he did so well in shows later on. He you know once he got it, he really did want to do well, but he just didn't want to be forced into anything. But yet, uh, he he did what you wanted when you asked him the right way, when you say please, so to speak, right? Well, and 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 say we that uh, let's let's go through the woods or let's go up that hill or over that bridge. You know, we're doing this together. Didn't always work, but instead of saying you better do this, otherwise people are going to laugh at me or. Yeah. Or whatever. And you had to work <laughs> through that, find out that didn't work. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, can you, that trail race over in, in Pound Ridge, which um, you and I grew up in towns right across from the Hudson River. So I used to go to Pound Ridge all the time. Um, in, a, in a like 30, 45 seconds, can you tell us the, the Pound Ridge, how, were, were you ready? Was he? Were you guys a team at that point? No, it was still early on, and um, the woman I was paired with was an expert rider. did did these hunter paces all the time, and uh, and so she just gave up on me and took off. And Caleb would <laughs> Caleb would. So I had to get off him, and I figured I was completely disqualified anyway. I get off him. I have to walk him up the hill, and these riders would come by and. And they'd say, is everything all right? Because they'd see me walking. And I'd say, oh, we're just having a donkey moment. And then they'd, they'd wave and go on. And anyway, it took us about two and a half hours. Uh, I think everybody else did it in under an hour. And, uh, and they were they were packing up the When you came the in? Shoot. Yeah, when the finish line, everybody at Al- Alice had cracked open the champagne and handed out the awards and were driving off. And we finally showed up. <laughs> At least you showed up. <laughs> this has been a delightful hour, and I, I want to share with have you share with the listeners, um, kind of what, what's going what, the sad news, um, yeah. about Caleb. Yeah. Um. Thank you. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Just a little over a year and a half ago, uh, two days after a beautiful ride in the woods in the snow, uh, he developed twisted gut. Um. Horse people know this. Um. And uh, he was rushed to the very top equine hospital where the Olympic horses go, had surgery, which they felt was successful, but he only lived five days. And I spent the whole time in the hospital with him uh, because it was a quiet time in January. Um, They didn't have a lot of patients, uh, horse patients there. And so I just didn't even ask. I just was there all the time with him. And so I was with him uh, when he passed and we were we were together uh the whole time and the doctors were even though they only knew him for less than a week i they were very touched by him what a what a touching ending and we're out of time marjorie marjorie winslow the author of the smart ass how a donkey challenged me to accept his true nature and rediscover my own thank you for sharing an hour with me Thank you very much, John. I'll have you again, I hope, again soon. This is Let's Talk Animals, Artibarks, Zebras, and don't forget, it's Dr. Hunt speaking. Enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug. About midway through last century, bluegrass music emerged from a melting pot of cultures creating a simmering cauldron. It blended the banjo and its African roots, spiritual rhythms, and fiddle styles that arrived through Acadia. Those early roots of bluegrass have sprouted countless branches and tendrils of music styles 
with similar instrumentation but new interpretations. The Bronze Round program explores these varied musical styles every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. You'll hear a collage of sounds that honor the traditions of bluegrass while presenting